I want to uh, start out by uh, thanking Mike for his lesson this morning. As uh, I, I told him, uh, I don't think uh, tonight could possibly go bad with a with a lesson like that this morning for me. Uh, so uh, I, I appreciate the the kind words that he said and and the effort he put into uh, conveying what what it is that we're trying to to do and trying to accomplish week to week. Um, I, I know uh, some of you are already familiar with that, but but some of you may not have been, and um, it was a good lesson. I enjoyed it. Um, I want to talk this evening uh, about uh, a subject that has really uh, animated me as I've been studying it over the pa over the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, and uh, it's it's the subject of uh, the foreknowledge and, and foreordination of God. Um, let me begin this way. How many times have you uh, been watching a movie and seen a plot that's something like this? You have um, a young protagonist who may have uh, some weaknesses, but also possesses some extraordinary skills. Uh, events fall into place just so that this protagonist is in the crosshairs of two intersecting ideals, the promise of his potential ability and the weaknesses with which he or she is plagued. Maybe this protagonist is um, is a dirt farmer on the planet of Tatooine, uh, who's strong in the Force but untrained and needs the honing of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi to reach his full potential and overcome his anger and fight the evil empire. Uh, there are a million other movies besides Star Wars that fall into this category. So why is that? We like stories about people who are destined for greatness, and after triumphing over immense adversity, they achieve that greatness. Why, why should that be? Well, I think it's because we feel deep down that there are times and places where human beings with just the right set of skills and just the right personality step up to the plate. And even if we wouldn't say it out loud, we sense the invisible hand of God working in these moments. And further, we all believe as human beings that we are meant for some purpose. Did you ever stop and think about how strange that is. A dog doesn't wonder what its purpose is, and neither does a tree or a cow or a horse or an elephant or a dolphin. We are the only beings in the natural world who perceive that we are made with an intention, a purpose. I would suggest to you that it's because we are made in the image of God, and as our minds uh, uh, pur purpose to sort out the course and meaning of each one of our lives, so the mind of God has set out certain courses and instilled certain meanings in us in his creation. So to try to better understand this, I want us to take a big picture view today of Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. Um, and I want to do this without stepping too much on, on uh, Sebastian's class because I'm really enjoying that Sunday morning class. And uh, I, I suspect that what I'm going to cover here isn't, uh, isn't going to... Uh, step too much on Sebastian's toes. I hope not. If not, he can just cover it again, and that'll be that'll be great because this is important stuff. Um, and we're gonna try to tie in a few other verses as well uh, to try to better understand what God has foreknown and foreordained. Um, I should probably start sharing this PowerPoint. I can make that happen.
All right. So the foreknowledge of God, Ephesians one and two. R- really quickly, um, the big picture question here is what is the extent of God's knowledge? What do we mean when we say he is all knowing? And maybe more importantly, what has he willed and ordained as far as we are concerned? Um, there are four big things, uh, quickly as well. Um, this is not just th- something that we see in the New Testament, but rather this is something we see throughout the, the, the big picture narrative of the Bible. I'm not going to turn to each one of these verses, but you can write them down if you wish. Uh, these are some examples of the immenseness of God's knowledge that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah 43, 18, uh, God foreknows history. Daniel 2, 28, God knows mysteries and reveals them. Uh, Jeremiah 1, 5, God knows individual human beings. Psalm 139, 4, God foreknows our thoughts. Exodus 3, 19, God knows our hearts and motivations. And as far as Ephesians is concerned, I want us to think about four major things that God has uh, foreknown and foreordained. One, uh, he foreknew and foreordained our inheritance. Uh, Two, he foreknew and foreordained the death of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom. Three, he foreknew and foreordained this plan to resolve the problem of sin for each one of us. And finally, that God foreknew and foreordained the church as the institution uh, to uh, carry us until he returns again. Uh, I want us to look a little bit more in depth at each one of these points, but uh, these are these are the four points that I'm going to hit in terms of a big picture view of Ephesians 1 and 2. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, it says, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, uh, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him Whose works all thing, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your, your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, God foreknew and foreordained our glorious inheritance. We see this in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We see that in verse 4. And uh, why did he do that? Well, verse 4 also tells us he did that so that we would be holy and blameless before him. You know, Being holy and blameless was impossible for us to achieve on our own under the law. Uh, but in verse 5, we see God chose us because of his great love for us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we progress through this. But 
it is also by his grace that we find ourselves on him. We see in verse 6. This is not uh, something that we earned to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us with the, uh, uh, in, in, in the beloved. And in verse 7, the grace and forgiveness came at the cost of blood. Uh, the redemption came through his blood, we see in verse 7. The death of Christ, which gives us our inheritance, is the mystery of God's will revealed, we see in verse 9. And further, verse 11 tells us that God is supreme over all things on earth. So, coming into his body, we see in verse 13, is not passive. We were intended uh, for this purpose uh, uh, in verse 13. Uh, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is a, a multifaceted process which involves hearing the word of truth, the gospel, believing it, and then, and then being sealed uh, in, in this context uh, with uh, a miraculous sealing of the Holy Spirit, but there is also an idea of being bonded to Christ in a covenant. Secondly, God foreknew and foreordained the time and manner of Christ's death, resurrection, and the establishment of his kingdom, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope uh, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. God foreknew and foreordained the time and manner of Christ's death, resurrection, and the establishment of his kingdom. Paul says in verse 19 that the greatness and power of God is shown to all the world in Christ's death. Think about that. Verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And this was shown in the masterful feat that was uh, uh, Christ conquering over death, we see in verse 20. And Christ lives on now. He has eternal power and dominion. Um, he is the, the head of the church. And we in the church are the body, which means we are an extension of his presence in the world. We are working his works. Uh, and serving our king who is now seated at the right hand of God, that is Christ. So we see that uh, not only was this inheritance in the, uh, the, 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 that, that both that we are going to and that we are now in in the church was foreordained uh, and foreknown, we see that Christ's death was foreordained and foreknown, 
And further, we see in chapter 2 that the purpose of Christ's death was foreordained and foreknown as well, which is the problem of sin. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every one of us had a mortal problem. We all have an Achilles heel. Uh, and that is that, that without Christ, we were all dead in sin. We see that in verse 1. And further, we know this to be true, that most people go through their whole lives on what we might consider their default settings, right? Most of us have had times in our lives where we've lived like this. And isn't it sobering to think that all that one has to do to serve Satan is do nothing? So the default setting uh, is uh, the, the, the default setting or the factory setting, we might talk about it. Um, this is this, this uh, automatic pursuit of the desires of the flesh without restraint. And the end result of this is that we become children of wrath. We see that in chapter 2, verse 4. So the God who loved us purposed to raise us together in Christ, verse 5, who elevates us to Christ's glorified position even though we were sinners, you see in verse 6. And Paul says this gift was intended for the benefit of the coming ages, in verse 7. Who's that? That's you and me. Um, this is Paul from 2,000 years back in history telling you to be grateful. You live in the time that you do where you can buy a Bible, you can freely assemble, that is, in non-pandemic times. I know things are a little bit different right now. Um, you can freely share the gospel in a million different ways. Obviously, the pandemic affects this too. We can't do face-to-face -face evangelism like we might like to. But there's a whole internet out there, and there are all kinds of uh, outlets for us to be spreading uh, the word. And you live in a, in a place and time where you can be connected to Christians around the world in ways that we never imagined. And we've seen some of that through this whole process. So we are blessed in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, and it, not just because of the particulars of our circumstance and the freedoms we enjoy, but because of the blessings that have come down to us uh, through uh, Christ and through the teaching of his gospel. This saving grace that we've received comes through faith, not through works, uh, for there's nothing we could boast to God about. Uh, uh, the, he is the one who knows all. 
so any good thing we may have done, even in a lifetime of good works, does not make up for an infraction against his goodness. And that is who we sin against when we sin. Uh, only an extraordinarily, only an extraordinary, a lavish display of love could save us. Um, but this not this doesn't mean that we're free from care about about taking the right actions. We were made for good works. We're told in verse ten, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Finally. God foreknew and foreordained the church and its universal nature. Let's pick up in verse 11, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one, he who has made us both one has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, taking peace, or so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he has come and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." God foreknew and foreordained the church. The church is special to God. You know, Paul is writing to a predominantly Gentile audience, and he says that they were at one time separated from God, uh, in essence, as a people. Uh, we see that in verses 11 and 12. Um, and, but there, there, were, there were promises and, and whispers and shadows in the Old Testament of a time to come when the hostility between Jew and Gentile would dissipate and that they would uh, live in harmony. And when God promises something, especially in, in, the, in Messianic language and prophecy, you can count on it eventually happening. Uh, uh, but Christ has brought those who were far near. So you put in Jesus's, uh, the first will be last and the last will be first language here, and it works well. Uh, those nations who were despised by the people of God, those Gentile nations, were now brought close to him in a covenant relationship through Christ. Um, Christ brought peace between Jew and Gentile, and indeed, he's made them into one people, we see in verse 14. Uh, you know, Jew versus Gentile hostility still exists in the Middle East today, but for those who are Christians, 
all such hostility ended 2,000 years ago with the death of the Savior, uh, who made us one, uh, verses 15 and 16. All of us were once outside uh, the house, so to speak. Uh, we were outside the house looking in, and, and now we've been invited into the household of God. The prophets of old and the apostles of the first century were, were the frame on a great house indeed, uh, with Christ as the cornerstone. And all peoples together join in the church to form a holy temple of God, we see in verse 21. We are the dwelling place of God, we see in verse 22. This is serious. We are the dwelling place of God on earth, you and me. It's a heavy responsibility. It's also a glorious blessing uh, uh, that we exist in and that we take part in. I want to make a few applications uh, before, uh, before we close here. Um, God's knowledge is complete. Let's look at uh, let's get an uh, let's look at a few verses to get an idea of the completeness of God's knowledge. Let's look at Psalms uh, one forty seven, Psalm one forty seven, Psalm one forty seven verse One forty seven verse five. Great is our Lord and abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. Uh, if you turn back to uh, Psalm one thirty nine, Psalm one thirty nine and verse four, just a few pages back, Psalm one thirty nine and verse four. Uh, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Um, quickly, uh, flip over to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. These are all concepts that we understand, but I think it's important to show how often that the Old Testament emphasizes this idea of the vastness of God's knowledge. Jeremiah 10, verse 12 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Um, there are, you know, dozens of other verses that speak to the completeness of God's knowledge. And there are also a lot of other verses that speak to the inadequacies of man's knowledge and how it is necessary for man to rely on God for all the things that he does not know. Um, one verse that, that, that comes to mind is Isaiah 55, if you'd like to turn there quickly. Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, obviously, God has a higher knowledge uh, th than we have. His, his knowledge is, is called unsearchable in human terms. Um, so, we must lean on God. We must have faith uh, in order to make it through this life. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves becoming children of wrath. Because 
if we're honest, we understand that our default settings, our factory settings, aren't going to get us through this life in an optimal way and aren't going to get us to our inheritance that we hope for at the end of this life. Uh, turn with me to Romans quickly. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. Actually, let's read verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If we are in Christ, our, our reward is sealed by the Lord, and we can know that we are, are in the Lord by our lives, living by faith. And it is the gospel, the power thereof, that saves us. Finally, I want us to think about what a long and glorious plan we participate in. Uh, and to do that, I want to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And this will be our last verse for the evening. But Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Um, we were predestined. Not in a way that uh, many would like, to, like you to believe in the religious world today, wherein uh, God um, sort of comes in and pulls the strings like a puppet master and directs uh, your every move, and and, there, and there's nothing that you can do to to uh, to affect your spiritual fate. No, that's not what the Bible describes. But He did foreknow a group of people that would be His, His children, those who He would bring to Himself and to make a great people. Those he intended to reconcile to himself, and he will in the last day. So recognizing that, that uh, we don't know everything uh, and, that, and that we need God's knowledge and God's wisdom doesn't mean that we embrace willful ignorance. Instead, it, it, it means that we start stop expecting answers from this life and start looking to God for the real important answers. We can leave him of our own will, but he will never leave us. And even when we do leave him, there is never a time when his salvation, his grace is unavailable to us. He stands always ready to receive the sinner, whoever he or she may be. I think, you know, we don't talk enough about the firmness with which we've been assured of our reward. That too was foreknown and foreseen by God. 
a glorious inheritance, uh, a, a, a uh, room in his father's house. At no point in the passages that we've read in Ephesians or elsewhere does it seem like Paul's fate uh, eternally uh, is in doubt in his own mind. He knows where he's going. We can have as much confidence as him. If you aren't confident in your salvation, ask questions, learn, do something about it. God intends everything that has worked in your life up to this point to lead you to Christ. He does not compel you by force. He asks only that you come to the persistent call of God. There is a destiny, a spiritual destiny for us all. There is uh, a purpose that we're meant for while we're on this earth, and there is an eternal purpose that we're meant for. So the question that faces each one of us, whether uh, wherever we are on our spiritual walk, um, at whatever point we find ourselves, we must reconsider and ask ourselves, are we fulfilling our destiny? It's an important question. It's a question that I hope that we'll all think about. And if there's anything that any of us can do to help you uh, to better understand what it is that, that, that God has desired for you, that God has destined for you, that, that God uh, seeks for you, then please make those questions known to us. Make those, uh, uh, we, we would be happy to study with you and help you to come to a better understanding of the gospel. If there's anything we can do, please make it known. And, and that's my lesson for this evening. Thank you so much for your kind attention.